Hey, um, Justin prayed for a West Bay, and I wanted to, when I uh, function as a chaplain, I work with the uh, older kids, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, and uh, I always get in there and I say, my two favorite subjects, can anybody guess what my two favorite subjects are? If you're, not if you've been there, you kids don't even try it, <laughs> short circuit it. No. No. Would you say social studies? <laughs> it's got it's related to the chapel. Okay, I'll give you a little clue here. <laughs> the Bible, yeah, that's one of them. No. It's Jesus and the Bible, my two favorite subjects. And they, so, you know, and then I'd have it up on the screen, and, and, and so I'd say my two favorite subjects, and they'd, they'd call it out, and they'd even give the dot, dot, dot at the end. So I had to start mixing it up and changing the number of dots and everything. But those are really my two favorite, favorite subjects, Jesus and the Bible, right? And, uh, you know, this book is what I want to talk about today. This book, what do we call this? The Bible, right? The Word of God. What else? The Scriptures. You know, it goes by different names, but these are all kind of tied into it. You know, that that what I want to focus on today is that this is God's Word. We call it the Scriptures, but we call it the Bible, the Holy Bible. But you hear this, people call it the Word, right? People call it the Word of God. God's Word, and that's really what it is. But when you think about what you're saying when you say this is God's Word, or this is the Word of God, that kind of gives it a whole, uh, you know, authoritative kind of a powerful place that this is God's Word. This isn't just some book that people wrote, right? This is, this is the Word of God, right? And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Uh, a few things I want to say, though, that... There's this misconception that the Bible contains the Word of God. There's a subtle difference here, that the Bible contains the Word of God, but, but rather the truth is that the Bible is the Word of God. Okay, And we're going to see that today in our, in our verses in 2 Timothy. This is God's revelation to mankind. This is what God spoke to us. This is God's Word to you and to me, to all of humankind. That's a pretty big uh, thing to say about a book, isn't it? But the truth is, it's the best-selling book, I'm quoting here, the most quoted book, the most published book, the most circulated, the most translated, the most influential book in the history of mankind. And there's no close second. That's pretty radical, isn't it? That's pretty radical. This book, it, it tells us, you know, where we came from. It tells us where we're going. It tells us how to live. But most importantly, it tells us about my first favorite subject, Jesus. Jesus. It reveals to us about the Savior, about Jesus. People have lived by this book. People have died for this book. They've given their lives literally to get this book into my hands, into your hands. Did you know that? People have given their lives. People have spent all their lives translating so that people who didn't have this book would have it in their own language, in their heart language. 
So last time when we were in 2 Timothy, and, and why don't we go ahead and turn there to 2 Timothy chapter 3 if you haven't already done so. We're going to pick it up where we left off uh, a few weeks ago, and Anthony spoke uh, about, about continuing in what we have learned. Continuing in what we have learned. And Paul, in this context here, he points to what? He points to the Scripture. We're going to pick it up in verse 15. We're going to look at verses 15 through 17 today. It says, uh, just before that, uh, let's pick it up in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you, and we, we, uh, we pray that you'd speak to us, even as we talk about your word. We pray that your word would speak to us, would... Uh, Help us, instruct us, all the things that, we, that you know that we need. We pray that you'd meet us, each one of us coming from a different place today. Lord, meet us here, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. So he, he points here to back to this book that we have a picture of here. And we're looking at these verses here. Notice he says in verse 15, he says, from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. From infancy. It makes me think, you know, he's, he, he's, he's got this little baby, right? And, and, and the Jewish people would, they would very young, begin to teach their children the Scriptures. They would definitely do that. But I'm kind of wondering, like, from infancy, from being a very young child, it, it, it kind of speaks to me. And I did not grow up this way of having a home where the Word of God has a place. Having a home where, where young children are learning about what the Scripture says. And learning about what we're talking about today is what this book is and how we got it and, and, and what it really means to you and to me. And the place that God gives it in our lives. But I think about this, you know, he talks uh, in the... Uh, earlier in First uh, Timothy about, uh, you know, his grandmother, Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mother, how they passed along so many things to them and, and how important that is. But I think, too, about our, our Sunday school, you know, we, we, uh, we just believe in teaching the Bible there, right? And I don't think they're giving them a Bible study in the nursery. But maybe they should. What do you think, Connie? She didn't hear me. What's that? Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad idea. You know, again, to be, be giving the Scripture. But uh, you know what, I think, I think uh, that our youth church has, uh, you know, got a, a rock-solid foundation in the Scriptures. They're, they're going through the Scriptures, and, and they're learning those things. Uh, and we heard today that they're in the book of Acts, right? They're going through the, the book of Acts and learning what the Bible has to say. That's pretty incredible 
when you think about it. Honestly, there are churches, there are many churches there that are not teaching the Bible. And their, and their uh, you know, Sunday schools are more just kind of social activities. And the churches themselves are social groups as well. Now, we need socialization, right? No? Do we? Do I need socialization? Is that what you're trying to say? Well, I don't know about you, but that guy needs a lot of... He doesn't know how to relate to people here. You know, we gather together, and we gather together with a plan and a purpose. And one of the things that we know from from Acts 2.42 is that the Word of God is is a very important place. And it's not the only thing. Uh, What else do we have in Acts 2.42? Prayer, right? We have the Word of God. We have prayer. What else? I can only hear one at a time. The breaking of bread. Yeah, we do that frequently. And fellowship, right? These four things is what the early church, it says they were devoted to. They kind of were addicted to these four things. And it's one of the things that we have built the life of our fellowship on is having the Word of God as a part of that. But again, there are places that that has kind of drifted away and now they they like the breaking of bread part and they're going to have a potluck every week maybe. And I like potlucks, don't get me wrong. But there's something about feeding upon the Word. Something about opening up the book. That if we ever leave that behind and if this church ever leaves that behind, go somewhere else. I've said this to you before, haven't I? If we stop... If we stop going to this word, this book, as a central part of who we are, go somewhere else. Find a place that teaches the Bible, okay? Find a place that teaches the word. Look what it says here in that verse. He says that, you know, he had known this from infancy, the Holy Scriptures, but he, he, he begins now to explain about the Bible. He says that the Bible, the Scriptures, are able to what? Make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The first thing about, about the scripture is this, that, they're, they, that they show us the way to eternal life. They show us the way to salvation. That's what he says here. Now, you do hear from time to time about people who, who uh, you know, heard the gospel directly from God. But for the most part, the people heard the gospel, they heard the gospel that it came from this book, right? It came from this book. God can speak every, every way or any way that he wants to, but primarily he has given us his word. So he says, I've already given you my word. What more do you want? What more do you need? Well, again, we're, we're trying to get the, the Bible translated in all these other languages and these places that they don't have a Bible like you and I do. We have a like, how many translations do we have here? We have a glut of translations. You know, my, my thinking is if we, could, if we could get into one translation and understand what the Bible is saying and read it and have it a part of our lives, that's important. More important than knowing what 15 different translations say. So the, the way to eternal life is found through this book. Why is that? Because, again, it tells us about my favorite subject, which is Right, it points the way to Jesus, and he says it here. He says that the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Scripture tells us what God said, what Jesus came to do. 
Faith comes by hearing, right? And hearing by the word of God. God is primarily, again, as I've just said, using his word to bring us to that place. Look what Peter says about it too. That's what Paul said. Look what Peter said. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring, what? Word of God. That's how we, that's how we came to faith because we heard about Jesus as someone was telling us what the Bible has declared about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, that, that Jesus came, Right? that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, and that we have hope in him, that our only hope is in him. That's what Paul said here. He says that the scriptures are able to make you wise. The scriptures themselves don't save us, but the message that the scriptures give us about Jesus as we put our faith in him, we are saved. We are born again through the word of God, through what we find out, through what we learn, through faith in Christ Jesus. Someone said this, and, and I, I want to make this clear because, you know, there are uh, some people, you know, and, and I, I kind of heard this, uh, you know, that, that, you know, people make such a big thing about the Bible, and that's how, and, and Jesus even said it to the Pharisees, he says, you know, you, you search the Scriptures, but, you know, because in them you think you have eternal life, but, but you don't come to Him, the one who gives eternal life. So we can be all about the Bible and not be saved. Because we never put our faith in Christ Jesus. We may be able to quote the whole Bible. I don't know anybody who's ever done that. Maybe there is someone, somewhere. But he says here, it's through faith in Christ Jesus. Through putting our faith and our trust in Christ Jesus. Someone said this, it's not by good works, not by baptism, church membership. Not by confirmation, not by obeying the Ten Commandments. Not by keeping the golden rule or in any other way that involves human effort or merit. Not in any other way other than through faith in Christ Jesus. Through faith in Christ Jesus. Someone called the Word of God this, the, the roadmap to heaven. And I think, I think that's a good thing. And, and, and my question to you is, have you found the way? To heaven. What is the way? Who is the way? Are there many ways as we, we hear about in our society? Well, you know, it just depends on what you feel, what you like, what you want, what you relate to. No, there's only one way. Jesus, through faith, through faith in Christ Jesus. I thought, you know, uh, and I didn't make this up, the roadmap to heaven, but, you know, if you haven't found the roadmap to heaven, you, if you have a phone, if you have a computer, a tablet, or whatever, you can Google the roadmap to heaven, and you'll find the gospel. Isn't that something? That's what we have so much nowadays. We can go through all this stuff. But you're sitting here before me today, so I can tell you there's only one way to get to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ, and trusting that he died on the cross for your sins. There's not any other way. There's no other way to get to heaven. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to do enough. You're never going to, you know, make enough uh, money. You're never going to have enough things. You're never going to get enough, be enough, do enough, anything to get yourself to heaven. You'll never make it. You know, 
We think, and this is the human way of thinking, that if, if my good works sort of outweigh my bad works, then I'll get there. Any, any of you think that way? You don't have to raise your hand now, but you think that way? If I just could live a little bit better life, then, I, then I'm sure that God's going to let me get into heaven. And, you know, the jokes are all about standing at the pearly gates with St. Peter, and, you, you know, you ask him these questions, he asks you this question, and all this stuff. And no, there's only one question. Do you have faith in Christ Jesus? That's the one question, only question, that's going to get you to heaven. It's going to get me to heaven. How did you hear about that? Like I said, most people, there are, there are times, and you hear testimonies of people who, you know, who hear about Jesus through a dream or a vision. But most of us heard it through someone telling us what the Bible had to say. Is that true? Think about your life if you're a believer. How did you hear? How did you find out? How did you know? Because someone told you about what the Bible said. He says there in verse 16 that all Scripture is God-breathed. Let's read that. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This Bible, this book that we have that we place uh, you know, uh, an important importance upon, he says that it's God-breathed. Some versions say inspired by God. The literal words are God-breathed. God-breathed. That God breathed these words out. And so here in this book, we, we begin to get a picture of, well, where did this book come from, right? Where did it, is it just a book that, you know, men put together? Because I, I, I'm saying to you, and I'm making this, this statement to you from the very beginning, that this is the Word of God. This is God's Word. This isn't just some book that, you know, you can buy down in Barnes & Noble, though you can buy it down in Barnes & Noble. Is there still Barnes & Noble? A lot of those places are going out of business because you can get them all online now. You know, this book is different from every other book. That's a statement I'm trying to make here today. Why? Because of what we, re what we read right here, that all Scripture is God-breathed. That it's inspired by Him, that, that He gave it. He gave it to us, that He... he uh, Put it together for you and for me. He gave this Bible, this book. Now, we're not going to take the time, you know, to, to, to look at every nuance of how that came to be. There are men and women, again, who have studied and given their whole lives to study uh, how this book came together. How we ended up with these particular books the different people that were a part of putting this together. But let me tell you one thing that has been so evident, uh, especially recently, that this book has been attacked. This book has been attacked. But, it, but that's nothing new, is it? And you say, well, why do you say that? Was, well, because from the beginning, isn't that what the enemy was doing? Attacking God's word, right? Isn't that what he said to Eve? What did he say back in Genesis 3? He says, has God said? Or did God really say? And this book has been attacked as well. You can't, you can't believe that book. You can't live your life by that book. You can't, no, you can't, um, you know, you're just being some kind of religious fanatic. You know, you need to mix that. You need to, like, get that together with all kinds of other stuff. And then you'll, you'll be a rounded person. No, you'll be a deceived person is what you'll be. 
because the Bible is God's word. I want you to turn ahead with me, please, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, again, speaking about the inspiration or the fact that God was moving, that God was giving us these words, that it was God, God breathed. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, if you will, please, verses 20 and 21. He says this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God. How? As they were carried along or moved along by the Holy Spirit. As they were energized by the Holy Spirit. And, and it, it's really rather exciting when you looked at this, when you look at this whole picture here. This picture of the scripture here, they're really, there are 40 different authors, right? But if you look at the book and you find out each book, and we, we study each, you know, books at a time and, and how that book came about and who it was written to and what, you know, what brought it about. You see, but God was working in those particular situations by his Holy Spirit. Now, God was working and directing these people, and He was using people. It's the Word of God, but God decided He chose to use people, right? Now, does that mean they just, you know, put a tablet in front of them or a, or a scroll, and they, you know, they just took the pencil or whatever they would write with and just close their eyes, and it would be kind of like this automatic writing thing? Is that what happened? No, absolutely not. That's actually a demonic kind of thing. Have you heard of automatic writing, this kind of thing? You know, Ouija boards and this kind of thing where these kinds of weird kind of stuff happens? No, God was working in the lives of these people, each one unique. And as you study each one, you see the prophet speaking, the apostle speaking, uh, you know, Luke writing these things down, all these different people. You know, God was working by his Holy Spirit in their lives to directly influence what was given to you and to me. It's a whole, stub, it's a whole subject you, can, you could spend you know, the rest of your life studying, really. It's, it's fascinating. So we have 66 books, right? 40 different authors, all different backgrounds, over uh, like a 1,500-year period. Now, I reckon... And also three different languages. I reckon to get somebody in a 15-minute period to write some things separately that actually agree together in this room would be difficult. I think so. But God, by His Holy Spirit, over a 1,500-year period, 40 different authors comes together in this book. And when you read this book, you go, wow, this, thing, this all ties together. There's one message here. Right, that God so loved the world. John 3, 16, that's the roadmap that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's one message all from cover to cover and, and, and God orchestrated, God put this thing together by his Holy Spirit. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 2, he said that this is not the word of men, but the word of God. Not the word of men, but the word of God. But God chose to, you, to use people. Someone else said this. Paul's, Paul affirms 
God's active involvement in the writing of Scripture, an involvement so powerful and pervasive that what is written is the infallible and authoritative Word of God. Infallible and authoritative Word of God. We can trust it. Now, again, uh, for those of you that are thinking, well, you know, what about all these translations and all that? Well, the, the infallibility of what was written it, it definitely points back to when that writer first wrote that document, right? They call that the autograph, the very first time, the one time they wrote that down. So it's been translated, right? It's been copied, right? Because we don't have those very first written Documents, right? They've been copied and copied and copied. And then now uh, translated and translated into different languages, right? So you say, well, how can we trust any of that? David Guzik said this, and, and again, this is a whole study that you can go into, but he said this, the reliability of our copies of what was originally written is a matter which can be decided by science and research. And though some errors have been made in copying the scriptures through the centuries, today we have a New Testament where not more than one one thousandth of the text is in question. And not one significant doctrine is in question. And he says the numbers for the Old Testament are even more impressive. In other words, you can trust what it says there. I'm not talking about some weird translation of the Book of Mormon, that kind of thing. Though, though when we were in Bible school, uh, the teacher there showed us how you can, uh, you know, find uh, salvation by grace through faith in the Book of Mormon. Even though that's not what they teach, but it's there because they couldn't mistranslate it so bad. I'm not encouraging you to go by the Book of Mormon, please. But what we have, what we have in our hands is trustworthy. It's, orth, it's authoritative. It's, it's infallible in, in what it teaches. Right? Are you with me so far? Okay. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. He goes on to talk about this idea of usefulness, that it's useful, Right? It's useful, it's essential. We've got to have it. Number one, it shows us, as we saw in verse 15, the road map to heaven. But is that all it tells us about? It's a pretty fat book. If, you know, he could have just given us a book with one page, right? And one sentence or one word, the word Jesus. But it's way bigger than that, isn't it? I mean, you, every subject that, that you could ever think of is found in here in one way or another. It's, it's true. This book is absolutely incredible, essential. But he says it's useful and it's helpful, the word means. And, and one of the translations of that word is advantageous. And I really like that when I read that because you know what? Knowing the word of God gives us an advantage gives us an advantage over those that don't know it. We, we got some kind of inside information, in other words. The roadmap of the Christian life. What life really is all about. Paul said in Romans 15, he said, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us 
so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. It's useful. God gave us these things to help us. We learn from people's past mistakes as we read about them in the Bible. And one of the things about the Bible is very, very honest, isn't it? About these men and women and the, and the lives that they had, good and bad, it's very, very honest, which speaks for one of the, the points of why it's truthful. So let's look at this little list that he's got here quickly. Number one, he says it's useful for teaching. It's, it's, our, it's our, you know, guidebook. It's, it's what we use to teach from. We don't pull some other book out and start teaching from it. We teach from this book, right? And next week, we're going to look in chapter 4 where he says, he says, preach the word. This book, we teach. It gives us the foundations of life. It teaches us about life itself. It teaches us about everything. It teaches us about God. It teaches us about creation. It teaches us about heaven. It also teaches us about hell, doesn't it? This book's got, got, the, got everything that you and I need. It's written in there. The most important things that you and I need, that we might have hope, he said, through the scriptures. The second thing, and this is something that we don't really like, and this version here says rebuking. How many of you just love to be rebuked? You raise your hand? Okay, he was scratching. Nobody loves to be rebuked, but how many of you know that we need to be rebuked from time to time? Because we aren't as smart as we think we are. We aren't as good as we think we are. Some versions call it reproof, but it includes this idea of conviction. As we read the words and, and, and God you know, uses these words in our lives, there comes this thing, this conviction like, wow, man, where am I? And of course, first coming to Christ is part of it. Like, where am I and who am I and where am I going? And if I don't you know, get right here, if I don't get forgiveness, I'm not going to you know, end up there in heaven. This Bible, it points out our sin, doesn't it? It gives us conviction of our sin. We don't necessarily want that, but you know what? It's what we need so often. When we're on the wrong track, we need somebody to point it out to us, and God in His Word is able to do that because from cover to cover, He's dealing with human beings, men and women, and the, the, the lives that they led. He's, he's involved in their lives, just like He wants to be involved in ours. But he doesn't just leave us there, you know, you rotten sinner, right? He corrects us too. He shows us the right way. And the, the word uh, literally means straightening of the way. So he kind of shows us the right way. He, he doesn't just tell us how bad we are, but he says, you know, this is the right way. Walk in it. I want to show you which way to go. That's all found in here. If, you know, if you're, if you're you know, serious about wanting to know which way he wants you to go, well, it's all found in here. How about the last one on the list there for training in righteousness? Really, to train us in the right ways. We need to be trained. I need to be trained. We all need to be trained in the right way. That's what righteousness is. A right relationship with God and a right way to live. 
We need to be trained. We need to be uh, helped. It doesn't, these things don't come natural to us. Naturally, where do we end up? If left to ourselves, you know, humankind, you know, they, they said, you know, the whole evolutionary uh, thinking was, you know what, uh, we are just going to get better and better and better and we are going to solve all the problems of society. We're going to get it together because we are evolving and we're getting better and better and better. Now, have you seen that? You know, the truth is we've been getting worse and worse and worse because left to ourselves and, and especially when we leave God out of the picture, you know, the lowest common denominator is not a real good thing, good sight, good picture. So we need this word. We need these scriptures. Warren Wiersbe said it's our spiritual food to nourish us that we might grow in grace and serve Christ. He said it is also our sword for fighting Satan and overcoming temptation. Found in, you can find that in Ephesians 6. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We fight. It's a sword. Psalm 119, you know, we're going to go ahead and read that whole psalm right here, right now. And those of you who are laughing know how long it is. How many verses are there? 190 or something? 176? We'd be here for a while. But it's all about the Word. Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God, about God's precepts, about God's commands, about what God has given to you and to me. It's incredible, but some of these that we already know, uh, Psalm 119, uh, verse 105, you know, thy word have I hid in my heart, what? Thy word have I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I got, I'm jumping ahead here. 105 is, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? Psalm 119 verse verse 11 is, thy word I have hid in my heart, what? That I might not sin against you. This is word is powerful. How, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. How can we get it right, get it together, get on the right path? By listening to the word of God, you see? It's there for us. It's useful in every aspect of our Christian lives. But you know what? I believe it's more than just our Christian lives. I think it's, it's, it's valuable for all of life and all of this planet, but, but, but so many reject and don't follow. Finally, verse 17, he says this. He says, so that the man of God, which includes the woman of God, so that the, that the man of God uh, may be complete. This word means mature. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. This book, this incredible, incredible book. What I want to say to you, though, today, and I want to throw this out as a challenge, is this, this statement that a true man or a true woman of God has a relationship or a walk in the Scriptures. Let me say that one more time because it's very important. A true man or a true woman of God has a relationship or a walk in the Scriptures. Why do I say that? Because of this here. 
John 8, 31. Jesus said to those Jews who had believed him, they were believers, they believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We quote that last part all the time, right? You'll know the truth, and the truth will, will set you free. But the context says that that's for those who abide, what? In the word, in his word. If you abide, if you live in, the, this word means to live in, to be immersed in, to be, have it a part of your very life. No wonder, no wonder the enemy wants to attack the word of God. And no wonder the enemy wants to keep you and me from it. Have you ever felt a battle? Well, you know, you'd like to read the Bible, but, you know, I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I'm too, you know, all these things coming together. I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to it the next day. I'll get to it, you know, when I get a little older. When I retire, I'll start reading the Bible. Or when I, you know, have extra whatever. Tomorrow never comes, though, does it? But the enemy would like to keep you from this book. He'd like to keep you out of here because, because he doesn't want you to know the truth. He doesn't want you to be set free. He wants you to be in bondage. So application is this. This is the application. God's word. It's God's word. Hold on to it. Read it. Continue in it. Is that you? Is that me? This word, this Bible, this book that we have, if you have questions about, you know, how we got and those kinds of things, you can find the answers to all of that. But, but my question to you today, if, you've, if you believe and accept those things, is, is, is it a part of your life, this book? And I'm not, I'm not just talking about some intellectual understanding of it, but, you know, God, again, we, He gave us minds to use, right? So we do use our minds, but it's, it's also our minds and our hearts put together, really. Let me quote to you from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, as we wrap this up. He says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God, it's living, it's active, it's powerful, it's alive. It's not just some dead book on the shelf here. It's, it's alive. And God can speak to you through it. You know, in, in, in my you know, experience that God, you know, of how many times has God, you know, I'm going through a complete mess or I'm a complete mess, going through a trial, some kind of terrible thing, and, and God has spoken to my heart through this book because it's alive. Now, there's lots of ways that that happens, of course. You know, the principles that are there, we can, we can look at the principles and say it's a principle, you know, that, you know, Murder isn't a good thing because the Bible says it's wrong, it's bad. And, and the Bible says a lot about a lot of things that are wrong and bad that, that we need to hold up as the standard, right? So there are the principles that we find there, but there's also, I think it's more than that as well, that God can speak by His Word in a personal, in a very real way. I, and I've experienced it through the years. 
Now, does that mean every time you open up the Bible, you're going to hear this down onto you? No, I don't think so. I've never felt a down on me either. But I've known when I was, when I was reading it, like, wow, that is, that, it's like that is for me right now. And as I held on to that, like, my whole outlook changed. My whole heart changed. My whole fear that whatever I was going through, you know, I was set free in, in a certain kind of way. I believe this, folks. But I don't believe it's just for the pastor. Uh-uh. No, no, not like this. Uh-uh. Let's let the pastor read the Bible. Let's let the pastor teach the Bible, and we'll sit and listen. It's got to be more than that. I remember, uh, you know, the big seeker-sensitive movement, you know, they, they were having all kinds of success and everything outwardly, and there were, you know, thousands and thousands of people, but the leader of this particular church came out and said, you know, we have blown it because we have not taught these people to be self-feeders, he said. We haven't taught them to get into the Bible for themselves. They come up there and they see all the verses on the screen, but they don't, they don't even know how to find out where the Psalms are or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And from my, my understanding is that, that, that they made some radical changes and they began to teach the Bible and they began to encourage the people to get into the Word for themselves. I want to encourage you to do that as well. Say, well, I don't know how to, to read the Bible. Maybe some of you may not even know how to read, and that's, that's okay. You can learn. There are people who have learned how to read by reading the Bible. But you know what? I, I, I don't want to put this on some shelf that nobody can ever get to. It's right here. It's, it's, it's right here for you and for me. Find a version that you can actually understand. Do I like the King James Version? I love the King James Version. But, you know, the, the language is, is very difficult to follow for most people today. But find a version that you can understand and, and open it up. Open it up. You got to read like three hours a day? I can't, re- I, don't, I can't read three hours a day. I'll fall asleep. But can you take five minutes a day? Ten minutes a day? We, we take a lot of time to do a lot of stuff, but we don't put a lot of time into this. And I'm telling you what Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you'll know the truth. If you really are my disciples, if you want to be what God wants you to be, it, it, it is, God's word is useful for all these things in our lives. And you and I need to, to, to take that to heart. Take it to heart. I, I, I quoted our, our, one of our pastors, you know, when he was at our huddle a few years back where he said, you know, his time with God, he had a church of 7,000 people or more. He said, you know what, but my time, not preparing lessons and sermons and all that, my time alone with God, just me and God and the Word and prayer, he said, that's a non-negotiable in my life. All this other stuff is negotiable, but he said, this is non-negotiable. And that has stuck with me. And I think you and I need to come to a place where we say, you know, there's some things that are non-negotiable in this life. And, and spending time with him and opening up his book. Not in a legalistic way, 
Not because you have to, but because you want to and also because you need to. That's all I'm going to say about this today. <laughs> Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you gave it to us, that you, by your Spirit, worked in the lives of these people who wrote down these words for us that we can trust, that we can read, that we can be uh, taught and even rebuked and corrected and trained about life, about how to walk, about how to live, and most importantly, how to get to heaven through Jesus the Savior, the only one, the only way. There's no other name given among men, given under heaven, among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. That every knee would bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's no other name. Father, I pray for each one of us that we would, we would examine those things in our lives. Lord, what really is non-negotiable? What's important? What isn't important? Can I, can I make time for you? Can I open up this book? Can I read it? Let you speak. It's your word, not men's words. Father, help us, Lord. Some of us have tried. We, we've tried. We started in Genesis and we got to Leviticus and we gave up. I would say begin in the New Testament. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts to understand your word. Father, I pray this morning as well that there, if there are any here today that have never called on that name, that name of Jesus, to have eternal life, to have salvation, to have a place in heaven, if that's you today, you can call on him right now. You can simply say, Jesus, I believe in you. I receive you. Come into my heart and into my life and and be my Savior, as we just read, through faith in the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you again for all you're doing in our lives. Lord, help us, Lord. We pray it's a battle. But we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's all stand together, please, and sing.